Hello and welcome to Sunshine Chasers. My name is Amanda and I started this podcast for you. This podcast is for outdoor or adventure travelers no matter where you are on your journey. Whether you're sitting on a commute right now dreaming of getting away or you're plugged in on a plane headed on your next great adventure, I think you'll be able to find something to connect with in each one of my guests. Through the conversations that you'll hear in this space, I want to not only inspire you with talks of faraway places and dreamy campsites, but really empower you to make your dream adventure a reality. Our episode today is with Sarah, who is the blogger behind K Sarah Sarah. She works in immigration by day, blogs about style and travel by night, and is incredibly passionate about ethical travel. We got the chance to chat a lot about ethical animal encounters, what that means, how she finds them, and some of her favorites. I think you're going to learn so much from this episode. If you do, I'd love if you could spare a minute to rate and review wherever you listen to podcasts, but I'll remind you about that later. Let's get to the good stuff. Well, hello. How are you doing today? I am good. It's Saturday. It's sunny. It's going to be a good day. Oh my gosh, I know. I usually do these recordings at nighttime, um, especially with people on the opposite coast from me. And it's like noon on a Saturday. I'm caffeinated. I'm ready to go. So it's going to be a good day and a good recording. Yes. It's, I'm so excited to be here and to talk about something that is really important to me. I'm so excited for everybody to hear what you have to say. But before we jump in, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself to everybody, tell us what you're up to right now, all of that good stuff. Um, well, I'm Sarah. I am a jack of all trades. I hate being bored. So my current tagline is that I am an immigration specialist by day. And then I run a personal style and travel blog called K Sarah Sarah by night. And I also do wardrobe audits and personal styling through my company, Shop the City. So I'm really busy. Um, I just moved across the country after getting married in September, going on a month-long honeymoon through Asia, and then um, came back and immediately apartment hunted and moved within the next month. So I've had like a crazy six months of life. Oh my goodness. Yes, It's not like you have a lot going on at all, right? No, no, totally casual. Um, you know, waking up leisurely and loving life. That's awesome. How was the move across the country? How, what was that experience like? Um, it was pretty interesting. So everyone says that like San Francisco is so hard to get an apartment. Everything's so expensive. Everything's so cutthroat. It's so hard to find a job. Um, so we moved out here because my husband's job transferred him. And we were like, we won't move until I get a job. And I got a job within like two days. Oh my gosh. And then we were like, okay, we need to find an apartment. So we found an apartment. Um, we ended up getting the second one we looked at. And we were like, okay, we have to move in one month. And we're like, we had, we literally came from our honeymoon to San Francisco to job hunt. So like, we hadn't even been home to DC in a month. Um, and then we were like, okay, we're leaving in another month. So it was a little crazy. That's so fast. <laughs> yeah. Um, I ended up getting really sick with pneumonia, but we drove across the country. We have a dog and two cats. So that was a lot of fun. Um, just every day driving for like six to eight hours with our pets in the car. It was pretty fun. Fun to see the the country. I mean, we've done long 
drives before, but this was like, you know, literally coast to coast. Mm-hmm. What, um, what route did you take across the States? So this was in December. Hober. So, <laughs> <laughs> so we had to go like through the South. So we did DC to Knoxville, Tennessee, and then we went to Arkansas, Oklahoma, Texas, um, New Mexico, Arizona. I think those might be flipped. No, they aren't. <laughs> yeah, New Mexico, then Arizona, and then to California. We went through Southern California to stay with our friends who live um, in like San Bernardino County, mm-hmm. and then just up the coast to our new home. Oh my gosh, beautiful. And how is San Francisco treating you? It's really, really good. Um, it's sunny. It's like not too hot. I think like we definitely have our chilly days, but I mean, I talked to my parents on the East Coast and I'm like, it's 58 degrees. I'm so cold. <laughs> and they're like, we're having our 12th snowstorm of the season. It's 58 degrees over here and we're like ready to bust out the shorts and the flip flops. <laughs> oh my God. I wear like a wool coat to work and boots when it's 58 now. <laughs> I've totally acclimated to becoming a California girl. Oh, that's a beautiful thing. Beautiful thing. Um, so one of the reasons that I immediately wanted to have you on this podcast is because you have got such a strong knowledge base and so many really thoughtful opinions on the topic of ethical travel. So I'd like to just jump right into that if you're cool with that. Absolutely. So first off, can you give us all a definition of what ethical travel means to you? So to me, ethical travel means that I'm doing my travel in a smart way in which I know that no animals or humans are kind of being harmed in, you know, the, the way I'm choosing to be a tourist. So it's a lot of education over money making and making sure that, um, Everything and everyone involved is having the best possible experience. Ooh, I really like that definition. That's good. Because, I mean, you hop on Google and you Google ethical travel and who knows what you're going to end up with. Because it kind of means every, it, it means a little something different to everyone. So I really love how you have all of those aspects kind of wrapping up into one. Um, so excellent definition. I love it. Thank you. <laughs> um, how did how did it become such a passion or such a cause that you really wanted to speak out uh, for, for you? I feel like it's kind of always been embedded in me that um, I went vegetarian at the age of 10. I hated meat growing up, like just the concept of it. Um, And as like, I got older, like a 10 year old doesn't really understand um, like super humane concepts yet. Um, But as I grew older, I kind of started to understand, you know, the ethical aspect of it. And then whenever I travel, you know, I've started being like, oh, well, obviously I have to go to places that serve vegetarians. So those places are already kind of, um, to use a very modern term, woke (laughs) to, to animal welfare. And then from there, I just want to, I've always been interested in animals. I wanted to be a veterinarian for like a really long time until I realized it needed eight years of school. And Me too. <laughs> Me too. Decided to go into fashion. <laughs> so, you know, I've always, it's always been on my mind. So it's always been there. It wasn't like a, 
I watched a documentary or something and something clicked. It was just always there. And like, I always had pets growing up and I always like was rescuing animals and volunteering at the shelter. So it just, it just made sense. Yeah, absolutely. So when, okay, so the whole reason that this originated, I'm going to go into story time and I know Sarah, you know, this story already, but for all of the listeners out there, um, I was traveling in South Florida and I was staying with a super nice Airbnb host, a nice family, um, and we were just kind of trying to get a sense of what there was to do in the area. And, you know, some Airbnbs have like all of those brochures and stuff sitting out. Um, And our host like grabbed one and he's like, oh my gosh, you guys have got to go to this gator farm. Like it is the thing to do in South Florida. And like, immediately alarm bells started going off in my head and I was like this sounds like something that I totally don't agree with and I just don't you know like you get that feeling in your gut where you're like oh I don't know if this is going with my values I'm pretty sure this is going against my values but I had no way of um, like actually checking into things because you know things have weird names if gator farm doesn't necessarily mean it's I mean, of course, I don't know what I'm talking about, but I thought maybe it had like a different connotation and I really wasn't, I was just assuming things and I didn't want to assume anything and I wanted to do my research and I realized that there, I had no idea how to do my research. So I reached out on Twitter and you immediately responded and I was like, I need to talk to her. So educate us. How can we decide if something is ethical or not? How do we do that research? How do we follow that feeling in our gut and actually make sure that we're not just drawing assumptions and we're actually educated uh, in the choices we make at home or when we travel? I mean, you definitely did the right thing in listening to your gut. That is a huge one. For me, a lot of it comes down to research. My husband and I, whenever we travel, I clearly love animals so I'm like we need to do something with animals like everywhere we go Um, so we had got into a big argument when we were planning our month-long honeymoon that he wanted to go to Japan which is notably the worst country for animal welfare and I really Really? wanted to go to yeah it comes down to their um, fishing and whaling um, industry I didn't know that at all sorry I, I totally cut you off but I just I had no idea No, it's okay. Um, We've done a lot of research and like the Faroe Islands are in the top 10 because of their annual whale. Um, There's a name for it, but they, they do an animal festival where they kill all the whales in the Faroe Islands and it's like a total bloodbath. Um, But Japan is the number one worst country because of their fishing and whaling. Um, They eat a lot of like shark fin soup where they will literally cut the fins off of a shark and then just drop it back in the ocean where it literally sinks to the bottom of the ocean and dies because it can't swim. Um, And just the way that they farm their fish and everything is pretty bad. They love mammals. They're so good to mammals. We went to like, I went to a couple cat cafes in Japan because I just needed my cat fix. Um, But then my husband didn't want to go to Thailand because in the past they've been really terrible to elephants and tigers. Like, um, you know, they use, they used to use elephants for logging and animal tourism and, you know, 
you hear about these people who are, you know, getting a painting done by a happy little elephant. And then you do the research and you realize that happy little elephant isn't so happy. Like it's chained up at night. It literally is getting a nail driven into its ear just to do this painting for your like 15 bot, which is like 10 cents. Yeah. Um, so we ended up going to both of them um, and, you know, just making sure that we did our research into whatever experiences and excursions we were doing were the best for all of the animals. So like even the cat cafes that we were going to, we were doing our research. Um, I'm big on TripAdvisor and I will sort through the best reviews and the worst reviews because the worst ones, you know, sometimes you get someone who's like disgruntled or like had a singular bad experience. But if a lot of them are talking about the animal's welfare, the cleanliness, et cetera, that can set off a lot of red flags. Okay, that's a really smart way to at, at least start looking at it. So if you already have somewhere in mind, so I, I suppose I'll reframe this as a question. When you go to TripAdvisor, do you already have a couple of places in mind? Like do you do an initial Google search and then go to TripAdvisor? Or do you start at TripAdvisor and search for you know animal experiences or something like that? So I do a lot of research by word of mouth. Like I will ask advice from friends and then I'm a part of this huge, huge Facebook group called Girls Love Travel. Mm-hmm. You remember? Uh, yes, I am. <laughs> I, would, I would think you would be. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll usually go through and search my destination um, through their feed and see what people are saying. And then I'll look up, you know, a lot of the, the top recommended ones and I'll search those on TripAdvisor. I'll also like Google like... Um, blogs and YouTube videos because YouTube you get like kind of a more face-to-face with what you're you're going to be experiencing so you can look for some of those red flags yourself mm-hmm. that's smart I huh I never thought of YouTube that's perfect <laughs> yeah there's a reason that travel youtubers do their stuff right <laughs> we might as well use them as a resource exactly and there's there's a lot of videos out there about like um like sad zoos in like Southeast Asia and stuff. So you, you learn about which ones you don't want to go to or like stuff like that. And there's a lot of um, advocacy on YouTube where people are like, I went to this thing and it was pretty shady. You should probably know what you're getting yourself into. Mm-hmm. So do you have any experiences where research I don't want to say failed you, but uh, wasn't as strong as you would have liked and you got into a situation or went to a company or went to an experience where you were like, oh, this is this is actually not with my morals at all. Um, I don't think so. I think the only time any of us, my husband or I, have had an issue is when we were in Japan. He had to go to a lot of restaurants by himself because I don't eat fish. Um, it was incredibly difficult. I basically lived on 7-Eleven. Oh, no. <laughs> but he would he eats fish, and he went to this restaurant by himself, and he was eating a soup, and it was really, really good. And then he was like, oh, what was that? And they were like, oh, it's shark fin soup. And he was like, why isn't it listed as that on the menu? And they were like, people get upset when they see it. And he oh, was dear. like, well, obviously. Like, I wouldn't have eaten it. So he, he felt a little blindsided, but I think now he's like 
gonna do more research on the restaurants and stuff but I think that's about it like when we go to um like excursions we just we do as much research as possible like we went on a safari in South Africa maybe like three or four years ago and we probably looked at 10 different excursions until we found one that was like this is the one that is doing the best work this is the one that we're going to go with do you have, can you give us some of the specific companies or specific examples that you've worked with that are like some of your best experiences, best memories with animal tourism, but in an ethical and positive fashion? Absolutely. Um, stateside, a lot of um, stateside big state zoos are doing a lot of research and a lot of like good. So the National Zoo in Washington DC has pandas. They do such great they do such great conservation. Um, their orangutans have these like ropes so they actually can get out of their enclosure and they're like hanging out above you. So like they're not confined to their cages. Like they can travel around the zoo. Um, and they're I mean in like a kind of hilariously great way, their bobcats get out often. Oh my gosh. Um, I remember this one bobcat maybe like two years ago was lost for like months and they were just like, well, she's having a grand old time. Like we've given up the search. And then like two weeks later, they were like, she just walked back into the zoo and walked back into her enclosure. Oh my she goodness. knows where her bread is buttered. <laughs> um, so those are great stateside. Um, well, bro- and, sorry, I'm just keep cutting you off today. That's okay. <laughs> but um, the National Zoo, correct me if I'm wrong, is also free, right? Yes, the National Zoo is free. Um, so are all of the museums uh, in Washington, D.C., and they're all super educational. Like, I love the African Art Museum, which is just ethical in its own way because it's like teaching people that, you know, Africans don't just live in huts, as many Americans are wont to believe. Mm-hmm. And then there's also the Omaha Zoo in Nebraska does a whole lot of research and is like super great to their animals. And then sanctuaries. Um, I went to the Gray Wildlife Park in Maine, which is just outside of Portland, which is a great, lovely weekend getaway with like amazing food. But we took a day trip to the Gray Wildlife Park and they work with animals that like have been accidentally shot or like gotten into car accidents and if they can rehabilitate them they release them back into the wild and if not they keep them at the sanctuary and it has like a huge education component for children and whatnot and we did like a photo pass where we like helped feed the bears and like um feed the moose and the deer and everything and it was just like really educational and they treat the animals well that sounds so fun I like immediately want to go to Maine (laughs) you should it's beautiful haven't didn't you go to Acadia I was up in Acadia um but it was a very very quick trip it was like a Friday to Sunday trip so gotcha I drove like 10 hours up and then we camped for a night and hiked and then I drove 10 hours back (laughs) so definitely more of Maine to explore absolutely Mm -hmm. so those are some phenomenal examples stateside do you have more examples for us around the globe absolutely so starting with my trip to South Africa I worked with Aquila 
safaris and game reserve. So they also, they rescue animals from poaching. Um, South Africa has this law and it makes sense in a big picture way, but the way the government gets money to um, run a lot of their national parks is by allowing poaching from like American people. Hmm. So like they'll charge. Not great. Right. But like it's, <laughs> the money goes into a fund for rescue efforts. So, so like interesting. Yeah. So they, they, you know, it's like ten, twenty thousand $20,000 for an American to shoot like this animal that has like been fattened up so that they American can get the biggest pelt possible. But then that money goes back into conservation efforts. So the safari that we worked with, they are kind of, they understand the government's point, but they are constantly rescuing animals from poaching situations and trying to rehabilitate them if possible. If not, they're like giving them a large enclosure and place to roam. There was this cheetah that she was so friendly and used to humankind and she just, they got her into shape, but she still had so much like sagging skin because they had made her so fat. Oh my um, goodness. But then they also take you out into the brush and do like safaris and everything. And you get to see the big five if, you know, they're all available. And they're, they just really try to educate you and um, make it as best a pace as possible for the animals that they're rehabilitating and that they've rescued, but also show you that there are still wild animals. Um, I mean, we saw a rhino and an elephant fight and it was just such a cool experience. And knowing that we were like giving our money to a safari that wasn't going to like, you know, turn around and, you know, fatten up another animal for an American to shoot was pretty nice. Yeah. And then in, where else do we go? In South Africa, there's also a um, this famous beach called Boulder Beach, and they do a lot of penguin um, conservation. So I guess penguins came over years and years ago, and there was like a small clan of them, and now there's like thousands of them, and you have to pay money to like get in onto this beach, but it's all like you know the penguins have like their safe haven that humans aren't allowed to go in. And the pen you're not allowed to touch them or anything, but you're still like surrounded by them, if that makes sense. Yeah. And it's just like totally cool and such a fun like little animal experience. That was in the Western Cape. And then in Thailand, we went to the Elephant Nature Park. So this is a park that was founded by this woman who wanted to, you know, stop the logging industry and help save the elephants. So she created this park where she would take money from tourists and it cost a bit of money. Um, I think our tickets were like 150, 200 per person. It's hard to do the math because it was in Thai bot. Mm -hmm. um, but it was, it was pricey, but the money goes into like rescuing other and other elephants from logging and tourism. And then we chose to do the Karen elephant experience where the Elephant Nature Park has contacted these tribesmen in the like the bush and the jungle and they're like, you're using your elephants for logging. What if we say that you can make more money by letting your elephants be free and just letting these like tourists come and like hang out with them for a day or two? Hmm. And it's worked really well and there's like all of these, you know, families 
in the jungle that are like, yeah, like we used these elephants for logging until like 10 years ago, five years ago. But now like they're hanging out. They're like, you can feed them. And they're like, they're the happiest elephants. And there was one, he was like a teenager. So this family had three elephants, one really old woman, one younger woman and like a teenage bull elephant. And the bull was like a sassy teenager. And they were like, he is like, he doesn't really like want to come to the mud bath and we're not going to force him. And I was like, that's great. Like you're not forcing him to hang out with humans. Like he wants to sit and eat and you're just letting him sit and eat. Yeah, that's nice. Because I imagine, I can certainly imagine that some places are like, well, got to get them there somehow because the people are paying and they want to see these elephants here. And yeah, I, I can imagine that can go south pretty quickly. Yeah. And they were just like having fun. Um, the older elephant like wanted to like go her own path to the mud bath one day. Mm-hmm. And she just like walked her own way and they were like, yeah, she'll she'll end up there we'll see her there. And she like showed up a little bit later. And just like, I think I have a video of it. I was just like walking by and all of a sudden the trees are moving and I was like, Oh my God. And she just like comes through. Oh my gosh. That sounds so epic. (laughs) It was, it was so much fun. It was such a great experience. And there's a lot of, um, in our research, we found a lot of other elephant parks, but you know, looking at the photos on TripAdvisor and stuff and using our extensive research, we saw that like the elephants had like chain marks on them during the day. Hmm. So they were clearly chained at night. Um, and other ones like the, you know, you could get a kiss from an elephant. And it's just like, you know, that elephant's not doing it on their own volition. So that yeah. like sets off a red flag. Mm-hmm. And anytime, correct me if I'm wrong, anytime you see a picture of somebody riding an elephant, not the most ethical or, or not the place to uh, go where they treat their elephants the best, right? <laughs> right. Especially if they have the box on their back. Like elephants' yeah. backs are like not made for like, you know, supporting steel structures and humans. They're meant for like, you know, soaking up the sun and mud and like, you know, helping them in life. Yeah. So I think you bring up a lot of great points here. And one thing that keeps coming up is having this education aspect to it. So researching someplace that really like puts their money into doing research and education that is safe for the animals and respectful of the animals, but also gives you some insight as to how they behave in the wild, which I think is great. I'm a big fan of research. I'm a big fan of education. So I love that fact that you bring up. But there's also this interesting thing here that different cultures treat animals differently. Like you say, the the whaling and cutting shark fins off, it's part of their culture in some places. How, How do you approach that? Or like, how can we still be respectful of other cultures without necessarily engaging in these activities? I think that we like to stick to our morals when we travel. Um, So like we did not end up going to Vietnam because they use a lot of dog in their meat and it's not very descript. It's not very, you know, outspoken. And I was just like, we have a dog. We're not going to Vietnam and you're not accidentally eating dog. Like, um, I know that that's their tradition 
Mm-hmm. And same thing with like my husband and eating the shark fin soup. He was like, that might be okay for you guys, but I hate myself. So it's kind of like sticking to our own morals. And then I think as we become more of a global society, um, especially, you know, there's the internet and everything. So the whole world itself is just becoming more globally inclusive. So I think, you know, that's, I mean, that's what happened with Thailand is like they thought that riding elephants and using them for logging was so good for so long. And then, you know, people started being like, no, it's not. And I think it was like maybe five or so years ago that their government was like, yeah, we're going to make logging with elephants illegal because that makes sense. So like, I think eventually everyone's going to realize that like animals are meant to be like cherished. Um, I really want to go to India for that, India and Nepal for that reason, because they just celebrate like all of the animals. Um, there's a festival in like Octo- late October that I want to go to some, some year where they literally, it's every day of the week, they're celebrating a different animal. And they like oh my gosh, that's put wonderful. colors on them and like flower crowns and everything. And I'm just like, I'm going. Like they dress up dogs, they dress up the cows, they dress up the cats. And I'm just like, yes, yes, I will, I will go. Yeah. So it kind of sounds like we're just all in it together. Like all of us as citizens of the earth are figuring it out together. And some things we've done in the past are not the best, but we can learn from each other and we can learn from other cultures and we can talk and we can educate and hopefully we're all stepping in the, in the right direction one step at a time. Right. (laughs) Yeah. And I really think we are, I think we're all getting towards a place of, you know, progression where we're trying to, you know, hold on to things. Like even when I was in um, Cambodia, it's like the Khmer people are finally realizing that like, these structures, a lot of the structures in like Angkor Wat are like crumbling Mm -hmm. and they're finally being like, whoa, this is a big piece of history. Like we need to like start taking better care of it. Hmm. So, I mean, that doesn't have to do with ethical animals and stuff, but it's just the, the world being like, no, we need to start taking care of everything. Yeah. And you know what? It's ethical travel does not just like, I want to make sure that Everybody knows I'm not saying that ethical travel is just animal related. Um, it just happens to be something that you are so passionate about. But you're totally right. Preserving history and preserving natural resources and national parks and all of that stuff, all of that can fall under ethical travel. And um, it, it's just what you're interested in and what your compass helps you decide what you're most passionate about. And I think that's awesome that we all have our different passions because that's how we all learn from each other. So that's great. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, even if like someone's like not into like big animals or something, there's still like a lot of countries are like conserving cats and like they take care of their cats really well. Um, Like when we were in Japan, like I said, I went to a lot of cat cafes. Mm -hmm. I love cats. (laughs) I have two. I'm so allergic to cats. So that is not a place you'll ever find me. Oh no. <laughs> but even there, like I had to do research to make sure the cat cafes that I were going I was going to weren't just doing it for like the money. Mm-hmm. Um I remember there was one called Jungle Cat Cafe and they like only have like the most luxurious Bengal cats and like owls and the cats and the owls are like cohabitating, but the owls are like 
tethered to a stick oh dear for like nine hours a day and I was like that's not the one I'm going to mm-hmm. yeah so I went to yeah. I went to um there was one I went to twice called Calico Cat Cafe and they actually take in sick cats and they make the sick cats wear a bandana and they're like this cat probably wouldn't you know survive in a shelter it'd probably get put down because it has this like feline disease but we're gonna give it a good life here yeah oh my gosh I have this giant smile on my face and I'm so not a cat person but that's so sweet (laughs) that's so wonderful I'm literally sitting here like petting one of my cats oh my gosh I love to respect and admire from afar it's just you know they rub up against me and I turn a little red and I get a little sneezy that's all (laughs) it's okay I can't win them all (laughs) Um, so I'm actually going to switch topics on you and I think it's actually more of a transition than it would necessarily appear on the surface you mentioned at the start that you are also a style blogger right this is right this is what I started in I went to school for fashion merchandising and started my my personal style blog from there and it's grown into a, a travel blog as well Yeah. And I think, um, you know, ethical fashion is a whole nother rabbit hole that we could get down. Um, but can you tell us what you truly love about style and what you truly love about fashion and why you're so passionate about that as well? I think I love fashion and style because it's my form of self-expression. It's how I can be someone new on a different day based on my mood. Um, I'm a multifaceted person like most people are. And, you know, some days I just want to show different sides of me. And I like being able to do that. Yeah. And uh, so you're talking to probably the least educated person (laughs) in terms of style and fashion. What to you is the difference between fashion and style? So fashion is like a science. Um, You know, there's trend forecasting. There's color forecasting. Everything is kind of coordinated each year to like be the fashion for that year. Um, Style is kind of what you do with it. Style is, you know, taking, you know, this season's latest bag and like putting your own spin on it. So like my style is usually pretty edgy. Like I've got tattoos and like a half shaved head, but I'm still going to wear like, you know, a Gucci bag, but I'm just going to do it with like, you know, something fun, maybe some fishnets or something. So it's style is how you make it your own and how you let your personality shine through. I'm learning so much today. This is great. (laughs) (laughs) Happy to help. You also, as well as having uh, a, you're like, okay, I'm watching all of your Instagram stories and I'm really watching you develop into the style blogging community in San Francisco. And it makes me so happy for you to find all of these events that you're going to and really see you rocking it. Um, but not only do you do this on a home level, you also look phenomenal every time you travel, like no matter where you go, you rock the style and you look comfortable, but also really fashionable at the same time. Um, how do you do that? How Give us some advice. Give, give some less stylish people some advice here. <laughs> Thank you. Um, of course. My biggest thing is I am a notorious overpacker. Um, <laughs> I had a suitcase that was the biggest you could buy, and it was hard shell. 
And I, on our way back from South Africa, it weighed so much, they couldn't even ship it freight. And I had to buy another suitcase. (laughs) So I overpack a lot. That suitcase ended up breaking on our way back from Iceland because we bought so many cozy sweaters. (laughs) That's so worth it. yeah, I'm I'm always overpacking. Um, and then I like to do some research. I like to go on Instagram and search the geotags of where I'm going, see what people are wearing, see what is kind of the cultural acceptance there, especially like when we're in Cambodia and Thailand, you have to have like your legs covered and your shoulders covered. So I was mm-hmm. like, okay, how am I going to do this when it's like still like 99 degrees? Yeah. Um, So, you know, when I was in Japan, I bought this like silk scarf, this like long silk scarf that I just like tied nonchalantly around my shoulders to be fabulous Mm -hmm. (laughs) and just wore it over a tank top and um, some breezy, breezy pants because you can't wear leggings in um, the temples. That's a great tip. Yeah. So I do a lot of research. I overpack. I go shopping for like two months before my trip and I'm like, this is going to be perfect. Like when we went to South Africa, um, on safari, you have to wear either white or beige or like neutral clothing because bright colors can like, it'll catch an animal's eye. Mm -hmm. Um, So I was like in, you know, I went shopping and I found like the perfect, like, tan dress that came with like a beige leather belt and it was like a faux wrap dress and I was like this is like so like rich bitch safari (laughs) I need it (laughs) um yeah and just a big thing for me when I travel is being comfortable as well so you won't see me in heels in any of my travel pictures I know Mm. heels would look so much better but I'm almost always in like my adidas shell toes because they're like cute and comfortable and they're not going to like kill my feet after like hours and hours of walking. Yeah. You, you got to draw the line somewhere. <laughs> yeah. And I draw the line at heels when I'm spending all day walking. Yeah. I don't blame you. <laughs> um, so does your ethical or, or does your love of animals translate into your choices for fashion as well? Absolutely. Especially um, as I've kind of grown up and my budget has grown, I've moved away from fast fashion. Mm -hmm. So into like more sustainable brands like, um, you know, H&M, Forever 21, all those things, they're cheap for a reason. And that's because they're underpaying their workers, harsh working conditions, all of that. So as you know, I've grown up and my budget has grown. I really enjoyed becoming more sustainable with my um, fashion choices. I've been shopping a lot of made in the U.S. and a lot of quality products that are going to last a lot longer than like a cheaply made Forever 21 blouse. Mm -hmm. That inevitably shrinks and has eight holes in it when you wash it. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) Absolutely. So there's a bunch of brands actually doing a lot of great stuff in San Francisco So I'm like so happy to be around here. Um, A couple of my favorites are Everlane. They make perfect like minimalist workwear that you Mm -hmm. can also wear for the weekend. And their silk is like super soft and still under $100. Amazing. And then another brand is Reformation and they make like super cute printed pieces. Um, I just started working with them actually 
on doing some ethical style looks. And then another way that I really, really love being like an ethical fashionista is to shop vintage. I've, I've always loved vintage stores and consignment stores. And it's the best way to like, make sure that you're not like creating more waste in the world. You're like making use of someone else's waste, especially when it comes to furs and leathers. Like as a vegan, I don't really like eat meat, but if someone's going to eat it and I've done a lot, a lot of research on the cow and like beef industry. And I know that they use the whole cow. So like if I'm wearing vintage leather, I'm like someone used this entire cow. It's vintage. Someone else has already worn it before me. I can wear it. That's so interesting too, because automatically like, again, I am full disclaimer, know nothing about this, but automatically I would be like, Ooh, leather. I don't, I don't know how I feel about that. So it sounds to me like just something that keeps coming up over and over again is like, you have to figure out what you believe in. And there's a lot of research involved in that, like backing it up. Um, but that you, you have thought so much about this and you are so thoughtful about all of this. Thank you so much for teaching me so much today. <laughs> no, of course. And if you want to know more about cows and like everything, I, uh, I've, most recently been doing a lot of research into like, why can't we save all the cows? And then Mm -hmm. after all of my research, I'm like, oh, we really can't save all the cows. We need people to be eating them. I'm not going to be one of those people, but you know, go eat your cows. You just blew my mind. (laughs) Yeah. It's, that is one animal that I'm like, if, if they, they're not being eaten, they're ruining the environment in another way. So the, the most ethical thing to do is to let people eat them, but maybe in like a, a smarter way, like grass fed and like free range yeah. and not like McDonald's. I'm definitely going to ask you more questions about this, but I don't want to hold you hostage too long for our interview today. So I think that's actually a great place to wrap up and we'll start, you know, talking about big plans for the future. So what's up next for you? What do you have going on? What are you working on? Where are you traveling? What's going on? So uh, next weekend, I'm going to Seattle. I'm super excited. And then I'll be heading to Omaha in a few more weeks. And then Oregon, um, I'll be heading up to Bend for Memorial Day weekend. And it's just so exciting to be on a completely new coast and to have Mm -hmm. all these new destinations, just like a quick plane ride away. So we're really trying to explore things over here and I just got my new passport with my new married name. I saw that. (laughs) I'm so excited. So we're trying to plan where we want to go. And like, we're debating between like another big adventure where we're literally on a plane every other day, or if we like want to try the beach route, but we're, we're normally not people who can like sit still. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You definitely, when you are traveling, you are on the go and it's so fun to watch. (laughs) It's so fun to do, but it is definitely exhausting, especially after like literally one month of like, we were in a new city every three or four days to like come home and then be like, oh, I'm moving. It was just, (laughs) that's enough. I probably deserve a beach vacation. (laughs) You do. You definitely deserve some relaxation. And the work you do also, your like day job doesn't sound like the most relaxing situation to be in right now. So 
I'm sure some relaxation from that is well earned as well. Absolutely. And March, we just wrapped up March, um, is the busiest time of year in immigration because there's um, a big lottery for worker visas. And so everything needs to go out on the same day. And it's literally like hundreds of people's applications need to go out on the same day. And it's just, it ends up being crazy. Um, so a lot of people take vacation about this time. And I'm like, all right, I just have a little weekend vacation, but I need something bigger. Yeah, you need to refill your cup so you can help all of those other people out there, right? You got to help yourself too. <laughs> I got to keep the American dream alive. Yes, absolutely. And I uh, I just want to take this minute to thank you so much for doing that work that you do. That is incredible. And we need more people like you. <laughs> oh, thank you. I just, it makes me happy to help other people and to, you know, kind of give the middle finger to the the man in charge right now <laughs> yes yes <laughs> I hope that's okay to say oh I am uh you are totally <laughs> clear with that on this podcast <laughs> you're good to go okay uh so before we go I'm asking someone this fun question uh everyone I'm interviewing this season do you have anybody else who you think it would be fun to hear on the sunshine chasers podcast you know, I have been thinking about this, and I have a friend, Courtney, who just moved to the Bay Area as well, and she has been working really hard to launch her travel blog, and she just did, and it is absolutely, like, breathtakingly beautiful, and she, like, goes to all these cool places. Um, she just did the hike to have, I can't say it, Havasupai, mm -hmm. the, the big, beautiful waterfall by the Grand Canyon. Um, she does, you know, adventures in Lake Tahoe, skiing, hiking. She's just like all adventure. And she is like the most bubbly person. And I think she would be great to have on here. Oh my gosh. Awesome. Yeah. I will definitely ask you for her information and I'll link to her new travel blog in the show notes too. That's awesome. Okay. Wonderful. That's so great. So speaking of following blogs, where can we follow along on all of your projects and all of your journeys? Now is the time to share all of your links, all of your handles. Give them all to me. <laughs> there are so many. So my name is spelled a little differently, so everyone should grab a pen and paper or check the show notes. <laughs> but my handle for my personal style and travel blog on everything, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, is Kesarastera which is Q-U-E-S-E-R-A-S-A-H-R-A. -E -E and then my website is the same, but with dashes between K, Sarah, and Sarah. And then if anyone wants style tips or anything, I'll provide a discount. Um, it can be Sunshine Chasers for 50% off a remote styling session with Shop the City, which is shopthe.city is the website. And I can help you get um, looking cute for any upcoming vacations. Oh, that's awesome. Thank you so much. I will make sure to link to all of this information in the show notes. That's great. Awesome. All right. Anything else you want to say before we sign off today? This has been so much fun. I'm so happy I get to talk about, you know, how to be nicer to animals when you travel and how to do your research and just don't ride elephants. Don't get a painting by an elephant. Don't shoot animals on your vacation. Just treat them well and keep this world a beautiful place. Yeah. 
It might get some likes on Instagram. It's not worth it. Not worth it. Yeah. All right. Well, then, thank you so much. You have taught me so much, and I cannot wait for everybody to hear this. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Sarah. Thank you for having me. All righty. Have a wonderful rest of your day. You too. Bye. And that is almost all we have for you today. But before we go, I just have a little clip from Sarah talking about that Instagram picture, uh, taking photos with animals. So before we sign off, here's Sarah again for you. So another thing you need to be really careful about is photo ops with animals. Um, Sloths, koalas, monkeys, basically any animal that people are saying, you know, pay $30 to get your photo taken with this. It's kind of usually not um, ethical because they're taking the animals away from their parents as babies and kind of like forcing them into this servitude. And, you know, koalas and sloths are used to sleeping like all day and they're being forced to stay awake for eight hours a day and take photos with people just to just to make some money. And it's it's really sad. So in conclusion, style for the gram, but only in an ethical way. I learned a ton from Sarah, and I hope you did too. Reach out to let us know, particularly if you want to hear more about this or any other category of ethical travel. Both handles are at Sunshine Chasing. I can't wait to hear from you. Again, I promised I would remind you, I would so appreciate a rating or review wherever you listen to podcasts, particularly if you happen to be listening on the podcast app through Apple. That's how other people can find this podcast and really expand these conversations. I also always want to take a moment to thank you from the bottom of my heart for listening to this show. That's all for today. Click subscribe to make sure you don't miss the next interview.